Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So first of all, thanks to everybody who emailed or left messages or comments about our last two podcasts, which featured Dr. Andy Anderson. I do have a list of notes of things that we will hopefully cover in future discussions with Dr. Anderson. It was a great guest. Again, I learned a lot from it. And I've actually, it's one of the few podcasts that I went back and replayed and listened to. Again, I was doing feeding the other day, and I hate the sound of my own voice. I hate listening to my podcast through. But I enjoyed it so much, and there was so much to take in while the podcast was going on that I kind of wanted to go through it again. I had already kind of listened to them through as I was editing. So thanks to all who chimed in. Again, it was a lot of fun doing it, and I'm glad we finally pulled it together because this is going to go down as one of my favorite podcasts that I've done. Now, today we're going to switch gears a little bit talk about some species or genus-specific husbandry. We're going to be talking about the genus Brachypelma, everybody's favorite. I love Brachypelma species, although it wasn't always that way. So what we're going to do today is talk a bit about general care for Brachypelma species, talk a bit about my history of Brachypelma species, and then talk a bit about the ones that I have raised up. Now, what I want to make very clear is when I get into talking about the individuals that I have, those just represent the spiders that I have raised up. So other people may report different things. So for example, my growth rates tend to be rather slow. I've heard from folks who have reported amazingly fast growth rates with certain Brachypelma species, some that have absolutely blown my mind. So we'll talk a bit about that. Also, temperament, I think it's important always to remember, and I'll I'll say this repeatedly through the podcast, but temperament may always vary from specimen to specimen. So that although I may have a very calm, intractable spider, somebody else may have the exact same species, the exact same size, maybe the same age, maybe from the same sack, and theirs may be more high strung. So we always got to keep that in mind. And for folks that listen to this and want to see how beautiful these spiders are, because again, this is one of the ones I sometimes, I was reluctant to do via podcast only because you kind of have to see the spiders to really appreciate. They are gorgeous. But if anybody wants to see the ones I have, I did do a 4K Brachypelma blowout, I believe September of 2022, I put up on YouTube. And that one shows off some of my guys in somewhat okay 4K. I use my phone for it. And it looks nice overall, but the good thing is I got some really good close shots of them. They got some, Billy got some really good close shots of them, so you can see what they look like as, you know, in most cases, young adults. But feel free to check that out. I'll put a link of it in because, again, I do like the visual part. It's one thing to hear about the spiders. It's another thing to see them in action and see how beautiful they are. So to kick it off my story with Brachypelma, sadly, it took me a while to figure out what amazing spiders there were. And I'm going to allude to myself in this quite a bit because I don't think I'm alone in this. When I first started doing my research, heavy research uh, into tarantulas, which ones I wanted to keep, I was looking at beginner lists. I wanted to kind of start slowly. And I honestly wasn't all that enamored with the genus as a whole. I think part of me wanted to really get into some other species, larger species. I did, however, identify very early on, and it was on the top of my wish list for a little while, the Brachypelma. At the time, we were calling it Smithy. Later on, it was determined that the ones that were in the hobby were actually Hemorii, but I wanted a Brachypelma Smithy, something fierce. I love the looks of them. I, for me, that symbolized... And it was like I've referred to it before. It's like the poster child of the tarantula hobby because they've appeared in so many movies on the covers of tarantula books like the B. Smithy slash Hemorii. They're very similar looking spiders have been appeared in media everywhere. It's a lot of folks. That's like 
the spider you have to get. So I really wanted to get one bad. I was looking at some slings. I learned how long they were going to take to grow. And I'm like, I don't want to wait forever to have this beautiful spider. Because again, a lot of hobbyists, and I don't think I'm just speaking for myself here, when they first get into the hobby, patience is limited. You want, you've read about these giant spiders. You've seen these giant spiders. The last thing you want is somebody to drop this tiny little thing that looks like a baby house spider in your lap and say, yep, you're going to have to wait six years before it even starts to remotely look like the spider you've been researching. It's a tough pill to swallow. And I think a lot of folks, as a result, don't jump on these species early on and then regret it later on. I know I did. So I was looking for specifically a sex female. And finally, I found my Jamie's tarantulas. She had a sale. It was a great price. I believe it was a three, three inch sexed female. So okay size. And I remember getting her in and just immediately just falling in love with this spider. Like, I can't believe I actually have one of these. As I mentioned before, the first tarantula I ever saw in person, it was as a young child, was at a pet store. They had a big, for me, and I've mentioned this before, in my mind, it's this huge aquarium in the center of the store with this gigantic spider in it that couldn't possibly exist. In actuality, it was probably like a five-inch spider and the tank was probably a 10-gallon tank. But in my mind, this was huge. Like, it really created my fascination for tarantulas. So was so excited to finally have one. And then that was it for a while. I didn't really identify any of the other species I really wanted. When I found them, they were usually a bit expensive. They were slings. I had read how long they take to grow. And I will admit, I'm one of those hobbyist that sadly, and I've said this before, moved very quickly from, okay, I don't think I need to stay in the lane of beginner spiders. I want to get some of these cooler and cooler, I'm doing air quotes here, old world species. So I moved into old worlds. I moved into more large, feistier, tropical terrestrials. We're talking about Formictopus, Pamphibedius, eventually got a Sturmy, and just basically forgot about the quote-unquote beginner spiders or, you know, in many respects, Brocky Pelma. I had a few Grammys. I love Grandma Stola Poker Pia, so that was one I went after very, very early on. But I pretty much ignored Brocky Pelma and had nothing to do with it for quite a bit. And as a matter of fact, I've mentioned before that I got two Brocky Pelma. I'll get into these when I get into the species I keep as freebies a while back. It was a new dealer. He's like, I want to send you some spiders. And he sent me these guys. And I was like, oh, good. Can't wait to be like 40 years old and have these guys be completely grown up. I wasn't really enthusiastic about them at the time. I mean, it was, I was excited to have new species of spiders. I was excited to have something that I, two of them were sent as freebies that I probably wouldn't have spent my own money on, but I wasn't as enthusiastic about it as I should have been. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of folks go through this stage in the hobby where the term beginner has a negative connotation. So when you put beginner species in people's minds, these are baby spiders. These are training wheel spiders. These are ones that once I get some experience under my belt, I've got rehousings and I've been in this for a year. I don't need to keep these baby spiders. And unfortunately, that means a lot of us ignore them for quite some time. So I do think that's a shame. I do, if I'm speaking to people out there that are like, hey, you know what? I've kind of done that. I implore you to revisit them because I have since revisited Brachypelma. Afanapelma is another one that I just kind of turned a blind eye to. I think part of it was the fact they're one of the only species of tarantulas you can find in the United States. So therefore, to me, if you can find them in my home country, they're kind of boring. So I ignored them. Big mistake. Gramostola. Gramostola I always had a thing for. I always kind of like Gramostola, but even then, it's like I wasn't looking at lists that dealers had it available and going, oh, good, Grammys. So I think I've since, you know, many years ago circled back to these guys. And now this is kind of my penance uh, when I do 
blowouts like these, featuring speeches like these, trying to explain to folks, don't be an idiot like me, because I look back at the opportunities I had to buy a lot of these Brachypelma species as slings for a much, much cheaper price than they're available for now. And I passed on it. And by now I would have had all these full grown adults. And unfortunately I do have some full grown adults now, but I would have them a lot sooner. Some other species that I didn't get, I don't currently have. And now I'm like, man, do I really want to wait another eight years to see these guys grow up? So if anything, people take away from this podcast, it's don't sleep on genus Brachypelma. You'll be missing out. Don't wait too long. Grab up some of these slings, raise them up. So let's talk about the beginner species thing. These guys, a lot of the Brachypelma species, not all of them. And when we get into the different species I keep, I will mention one in particular that I do not think belongs on a beginner species list. But the majority of them are do make it to the beginner species list. And the ones that haven't made a lot of beginner species lists are it's because they're not as readily available. Because when you look at a good beginner species, you you picture a spider that's you know hardy, long-lived, easy to care for, and it honestly should be fairly readily available. There's nothing worse. I've done beginner's lists over the years, and species that I put on the beginner's list are impossible to get now, and that's kind of a tease. It should be something you should be able to go out and find within a couple months or so. And unfortunately, some of the species that are going to be mentioned today are a little more difficult to find. Actually, all of them are a little more difficult to find these days because we have to legally import them from Mexico, and we have to wait till they have batches of them ready to import, so they're not readily available all at all times. So with that in mind, let's look at the good and the bad as far as these being good beginner species. And I think there's a lot of good. There's a reason why they keep making the list. There's a reason why everybody always puts them forth as good examples of good beginner species. Number one, temperament. Now, there's a caveat for this. First of all, when we talk about temperament of spiders, we're normally not talking about slings and juveniles. We're talking about the adults. Most species in the genus Brachypelma grow up to be fairly calm adults. At least most people will respond that when asked, how is the temperament of your adult, Morii, Smithy, they usually report that they're fairly calm as adults. And that's obviously a big factor for beginners because a lot of folks are just getting into the hobby are harboring fear of tarantulas, fear of spiders, so they got to get over. So having something that's a little more high strung, possibly defensive, not really a great way to start. Some folks, a lot of folks who get into the hobby, not some folks, a lot of folks get into the hobby, come into the hobby with the idea that they have to hold their spiders, that that's a huge part of the hobby. And we've discussed before why I don't believe that's true and don't think that should be a requirement. But when they're looking for spiders, they're looking for something that they can hold and they want to hear that the spider is going to be open to handling, not turn around and bite them or kick a handful of hairs at them. So temperament, very important. And these guys usually do as adults. I will say the ones I have that are, you know, adults, young adults, now are fairly calm, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Another thing, people want spiders that are visible. And the good thing is a lot of the Brachypelma species are very, very visible. As a matter of fact, some folks refer to them as pet rocks, which is kind of a term of endearment for those of us that give to our spiders that kind of sit in one spot and don't move a heck of a lot, which is always nice because, again, if you're keeping these spiders, a lot of folks, especially those that are new into the hobby, you want to see your spider. You don't want to stare at a box of dirt. You want to be able to have folks over and go, look, at there's my beautiful tarantula and be able to talk about it and show it off. So I think visibility factors in big time when you're talking about beginner species. And I think, yes, all the Brachypelma species that I keep so far, check that box off. Uh, the next one, they are hardy. 
Very, very hardy spiders. Those with lower household temperatures uh, should look at brachypelmas because they are very good in cooler temps. I've actually recommended to folks before they've asked me, hey, my house is a little on the cooler side. You know, the winter could be lower 60s. Is there a spider I could get that wouldn't be impacted by this? Yes, brachypelmas do quite well with cooler weather. I've heard many stories of folks shipping brachypelma species in the winter. Heat packs fail. It gets super cold. Whatever the issue may be. The brachypelmas survive that low temperature drop with no problem. I had one survive basically being partially frozen and popped up with no issue whatsoever. So that's something I think gives people peace of mind to know that their spiders, if it gets a little cool in their house, are going to do just fine. They are very, because they are not moisture dependent species, even as slings, they don't need as much moisture as some of the other sling species, and that makes them easier to keep. So a lot, just very, very hardy spiders overall, which is definitely a plus when you're a beginner, especially a beginner who might be starting with slings. As adults, they're nearly bulletproof. Same thing. You can keep them in arid enclosures. They should have access to a water dish, but I know folks that unfortunately don't give them water. They still do okay. They can get their moisture, or in those cases, they have to get their moisture from their prey items. Not ideal, but it shows you how you know tough they are. And then, again, ease of care is just a big part of it. They're arid species as adults, not super prone to dehydration as slings, not super, just very, very, you can pretty much set them in a box. I, I do not encourage people to do this. We're going to get into what we should keep them in, how we should set them up. But you could, this is a spider. You could take a plastic sterilized container, put a couple inches of dirt in, drop the spider in, and feed it once a month, and it's going to be perfectly fine. And then they are stunning as adults. I think that gets overlooked that these are beautiful spiders with reds, oranges, yellows, just black overall coloration with that color pop of red. They're just so good looking. You got albiceps with a kind of blonde carapace. Amazing looking spiders. And I think a lot of folks will see pictures of them and immediately go, I need to have this animal. And then they read up about them, read how slow growing they are, and maybe kind of balk at the fact that it can take a while to see those beautiful colors. But I will tell you, it's worth the wait. And I think that's something that really needs to be stressed here that yes, you may be hearing this podcast right now. You may be looking at, you know, this person has slings. I don't know if I want them. Jump now. Yes, it's going to be a while before it starts showing the adult colors, but my Lord, when they start showing those colors and when they really get them in and you get that young adult, whoo, totally worth the wait. Now for the bad, the biggest knock against them is going to be the super slow growth rate. Most folks, not all folks, most folks report that it takes theirs quite some time to put on size. I found that it takes a while to get them from their, you know, second instar sling stage where they're about a quarter of an inch, maybe even a little smaller, up to an inch or so. Once they get to the inch mark, I found that mine put on a lot more size when they molt, so they seem to grow much more quickly from that point on, but it can take a while to get there. Now, that said, I've spoken to some folks that have kept their spiders just because of where they live. They're naturally in the 80s all year round, and they tend to get some amazing growth. I had one person who bought a bee smithy, and I have no reason to believe they're lying to me, so I'm taking this as the truth. They bought a bee smithy within a year. It was up to three and a half inches. For me, that is like mind-boggling 
mind-bogglingly quick growth because mine took much, much longer to go from that tiny size to three and a half inches. But I did notice that the, for the folks who report that kind of growth, they usually have much higher temperatures in their home. Now, I am not telling people to heat your spiders. I'm just telling you that if you have naturally higher temperatures, you may have faster growth rate. But for most folks, you're talking about a good... Ah, three, four, five years before they start showing some decent color, and then probably six to eight years before you have an actual adult, young adult on your hands. And that can be a lot for people that are just into the hobby to wait for. Because again, you get in the hobby, you want your big spider right away. As teeny tiny slings, they're little brown indiscriminate slings, little black mirror patches on their booties. There's nothing to really differentiate them. And they're kind of boring, like as slings. They're just not like beautiful slings like some other species. So I think that's a huge issue. And that's what I've heard from many people before. When I put up stuff with Brocky Palmer, they're like, oh man, I love the species, but my gosh, it takes that long to get that big. And it kind of turns them off, which is sad. And then another thing I want to talk about as far as bad, and this is not always bad, but it's something that needs to be mentioned. Not all the species and specimens are laid back. Yes, they have a reputation. A lot of people just hear brachypelma and immediately assume every brachypelma species is going to be super tame and calm as an adult, and that's not the case at all. I currently have several that I will talk about, and a few of them are, two of them are two of the most skittish spiders I probably keep at the moment. So that's something to keep in mind, and what will happen is people will hear that, hey, brachypelma, say, homorii, is super laid back, tractable, calm. What they're hearing about usually is adult behavior. Then they go out and they buy a juvenile. And then I get an email going, Tom, I got a juvenile. Something wrong with this thing? It's running all around. It's kicking hairs. No, that's very normal. These smaller specimens, slings and juveniles, are often, again, preyed upon in the wild by larger animals. They are a lot more skittish, a lot more prone to bolting, a lot more prone to kicking hairs. So yes, that's normal behavior. It's not until they get older that they calm down. So that's something people need to keep in mind because... Again, over the years, I've been privy to a lot of folks who've picked up a bunch of these species and come back and went, I don't understand. I have a sling. I have a juvenile. And it's absolutely crazy. This isn't what I thought I was getting. So that's important to know. And finally, this one kind of blows my mind. And know that when I say this word, I'm going to be doing it with air quotes around it. But I've had many folks report that these guys are, quote unquote, boring. I've had folks say, I'm not picking these guys up. They're boring. Again, that's back to that beginner species stigma where if it's a beginner species, only beginners should get, which is ridiculous because take that out of there. Are there certain species that beginners are more likely to have an easier time with getting into the hobby? Absolutely. Does that mean those species are only for beginners? No, that's absolutely ridiculous. And unfortunately, a lot of us get to that point in the hobby. We jump into the more high-strung old worlds and we look back and go, well, the spider just sits there. It doesn't do anything. Who cares? They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're awesome spiders. I think it's sad when folks shy away from them because they're quote unquote boring. I get it because I did the same thing once upon a time, but it couldn't be further from the truth. They are not boring spiders. They are beautiful spiders. They are highly coveted by people that keep them. And I think we need to kind of stop with the whole, this is a beginner. I've been doing this for a year. Therefore, I am above that. That's just silly. So in all, I think right up there with the Afonapelm and Gramostola species, and you can say almost the same stuff I just said here about those two genera of tarantulas. Very, very similar in the growth rates. Very similar in the fact that most of the adults are fairly laid back. These slings and juveniles can be crazy, but you can have some crazy adults. I think all of this goes for them as well. So remember, if you're out there right now and you're one of the ones sitting there going, I don't need Gramostola or Brachypelma or 
Uh, Fauna Pelma, those are for those are for kids. Those are for beginners. That's not the case at all. Do not pass these guys up. And again, because of that super slow growth rate, you want to grab them sooner than later. I'm actually at a point now where I kind of half joked, but half it's a concern that I'm getting to that age that when I start picking these guys up, they're going to outlive me most likely. So you got to start thinking about who you're going to leave them to. So that's something if you're looking at them, you're interested. My advice to you would be if you see them available, grab them up, start raising them up now. Now, as far as care for these guys, enclosures for the little teeny tiny ones. If you've seen these guys when they're, you know, second instar, they can be quite small. You want to make sure you put them in something that allows you to be able to locate the spider and allows the spider to be able to locate food. I like dram vials for the teeny tiny slings. With the dram vials, I usually put about an inch or so, 2.5 centimeters or so of substrate in, maybe a little as depends on the size of the actual spider. And then I keep just a corner of it moist. So you can use a syringe to kind of put water down the corner. If you really want to put water down so it's just in the lower level, you take a syringe, you stick it down between the substrate and the side of the enclosure, you squirt some water into that bottom layer. That will also often encourage a little bit of burrowing. That way your spider can burrow to the moisture level that it needs. So if it needs a little more moist, it can burrow down to the bottom. If it needs a little dry, it can come up top. But I try to keep the dry, the top mostly dry. What I will usually do is put a little pinch of some type of uh, sphagnum moss in there. And this serves two purposes. Number one, it can offer the spider a place to hide. A lot of mine will kind of hide underneath the sphagnum moss especially if they're not burrowing. If they're not burrowing and they're just out in the open, that can make them very skittish, afraid to go at or hunt live prey items. So I like that. Plus, what I do is when I add a little moisture to it, it acts like a little water. So I moisten that sphagnum moss down a bit, and that gives the spider a place to drink from. They can easily go and absorb and drink the moisture out of the sphagnum moss, which is, again, gives them a choice. They can go over the dry side of it. They go over that sphagnum moss, get a drink if they need it. And then for larger, well-started specimens, I know sometimes folks are selling ones out there that are like three quarters of an inch to an inch. You can do the old Amac boxes work fine. The 16 ounce deli cups are great. You don't need something huge. You want to be able to keep, again, keep track of the spider, have the spider be able to find food. With a larger enclosure, I would, again, encourage mostly dry substrate, keep a corner moist. Again, a little sphagnum if you want to moisten that down for the spider in between. Definitely a water dish. They will drink. I've seen them drink, so you want to make sure they have that. And then a little cork bark hide with maybe a, maybe a starter burrow underneath it. Some of these guys, as small slings, will do some burrowing. I had quite a few of them that burrowed when they were younger. Most of them will give up the burrowing after they put on some size. You're talking about three, three and a half inches or so. I had right now my Brachypelma Amelia that we'll talk about in a minute is still burrowing. She's right around, right around the three-inch mark, but I'm seeing her on the surface more often than I was before. For feeding, when you get the little teeny tiny slings, it can be very difficult to find prey items that are that small. One alternative, you can use the flightless fruit flies, but I find them to be, especially if you've only got a handful of slings, tiny slings, more bothered than they're worth. You can use them. I'm not going to tell people not to use them. I have used them before because I had them for a lot of my true spiders that I was keeping. They're super tiny. You need the flightless fruit flies. So I've tossed some in with small tarantulas before. But you can also use pre-killed prey items. You can take a cricket drumstick, which is where you take a leg off of a cricket. If you grab the leg, they'll detach it. You can drop that in. They'll feed off of that. Pre-killed items, uh, cut up mealworms. A lot of people like to do mealworms. You can keep them in a refrigerator. So if you have just a few spiders, you want to keep those mealworms alive. You put them in the refrigerator. You take one out. 
You can kill it, cut it up into segments, drop a segment in, it's gross, but they'll go and feed off those segments. Know that if you feed your teeny tiny slings larger meals, so if you have a little teeny tiny sling and you drop in, say, a segment of mealworm and it feeds on it for 24 hours, that might be the first and last time it eats until it molts again. They can fill up in one feeding. So if you're dropping larger paratums in there, don't be surprised if the spider fills up right off the bat. I remember when my B. erratum was a super small sling. I dropped in a pre-killed roach. It was pretty big for it. It fed off that thing for about a day and then disappeared and then didn't eat again because it went into pre-mold. So be aware, and this goes with any spider, if you're giving those teeny tiny slings big meals, they will fill up, they can fill up in one sitting and then not eat again. So don't panic if they eat, if they're nice and big and their abdomens are nice and plump, they're probably fine. Now, as for a feeding schedule, I've mentioned before, I like to feed my slings usually twice a week. It gives me, you know, double the amount of time to check on them to make sure everything's okay, make sure the enclosures haven't dried out. Plus, I'm usually trying to get them out of that sling stage more quickly. However, I will tell you with brachypelma, this sometimes doesn't work. Sometimes I've had them refuse food before. Again, I've had them fill up after one feeding. The temperature has a lot to do with their growth rate. So if you have it, it's 65 degrees, you're probably not going to get the growth rate. I can tell you, you're not going to get the growth rate somebody would get that's keeping theirs at 80, 85. So that's something to keep in mind. But I, it, it depends on the keeper. Feeding them once a week, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think with brachypelma, that's a good way, especially if you're feeding them larger meals to make sure that they're always hungry when you feed them. I think a lot of folks, again, get freaked out when they feed them. They eat twice, they don't eat again, and I get the emails. What's going on with this thing? It's not eating anymore. Well, it's filled up. So feeding, find a schedule that works for you. I think once a week is perfectly fine. Once every other week with these guys for colder weather, once every other week perfectly fine. It just depends on how much you're feeding them at a sitting and how quickly you want them to grow. Now, once your slings outgrow their sling enclosures and move into juvenile territory, which it can be difficult with these guys because usually juveniles, I always say it, it differs from species to species. The juvenile, say T. apophysis, is going to be a heck of a lot larger than a juvenile, say, H. formosus. So what are we talking about when we say juvenile? I usually like to think when they hit, you know, for medium-sized species, it's usually around two inches or so. And it's also usually around when they start showing some of their adult colorations. I think that's a nice way to differentiate slings from juveniles. Hey, my spider is no longer just a little shiny brown thing. It's actually sporting some adult colors. Now it's in the juvenile phase. And when it comes to brachypelma, most of them seem to start showing some of those colors at around, like, sometimes as small as an inch and a half, but it's usually just faint hints of what they're going to look like. Inch and three quarters, I've seen some decent colors. Usually around two, two and a half is when you really start seeing those colors pop. So around that time, you can move them into a larger enclosure, something around the size of a small critter keeper. I've used the, the these little food boxes that are about eight inches by six inches by about four inches deep or so. They work really well. Again, you want to make sure you give them some substrate so that they can dig. At this point, a lot of folks will take their little slings out and they'll put them in shallow substrate, give them a little cork bark hide and go, there you go, buddy. 
I found that the brachypelma, some of the brachypelma species will continue to burrow right through their juvenile stage, right up to young adulthood. And I always find it best to give them that opportunity. Again, we talked about earlier how the temperaments on these guys may vary. And if you really want to make sure that your spider has a chance to be a calm spider, you want to give it what it needs. And if it wants to burrow and hide out when it's disturbed, give it that option. So I would say whatever you're going to use for a juvenile, put a few inches of substrate in there, starter burrow, multiple hides is a great way to go. I know I've talked a bit about the fact that I'm doing multiple hides and a lot of my enclosures now. So consider giving them multiple hides. So they have different places to choose from. Don't be surprised. They do a little burrowing underneath one of those. They're not going to go crazy. It's not going to be like a fossorial species, but they'll do a little digging, make themselves a little burrow and be able to hide out in there. Again, if you want to put a little you know, spot of moss and moisten it down so if it needs a moist spot. But at this point, once they hit, you know, inch and three quarters, two inches, two and a half inches or so, they can generally be kept arid. They don't like, I will say that if you put these guys in enclosures with wet substrate, a lot of times they'll climb the sides of the walls. They don't like the feeling of the wet substrate beneath them. Water dish, absolutely make sure you give them a water dish. And the good news is it's usually at this point where you start seeing them more. And you want to see them more because you're starting to see those adult colors. You've kept the spider at this point. I mean, I've had some take years to get to the two-inch mark. So you've kept it for quite some time. It's showing some colors. You want to show it off. So you should see your spider a little bit more. Now, as far as temperament, again, I want to point out, juveniles can be quite skittish from all Brachypelma species. I've had skittish smithy, hemorii, definitely boimy. The Biorotum, definitely skittish. Keep that in mind. So if you set your spider up, it's bolting, it's kicking hairs, it will likely, not always, but will likely grow, outgrow that behavior within a few molts or so. As far as feeding is concerned, I found that all my juvenile brachies eat very, very well. So at that point, you're probably, depending on the size of the juvenile, looking at medium crickets, medium roaches, whether it be you know smaller bedubia roaches, or I love red runner roaches, were great. Mine all snatched them up. Mealworms, locusts, whatever you got, they're going to take down fairly good sized prey. And then again, I usually switch my juveniles to once a week or so, or even once every other week. Pick a schedule that works for you. Again, these are spiders that if they fatten up a lot, like if you feed them aggressively, and you get that big booty really quick, you could have a very long pre-molt period. And again, for folks who are in the hobby for a while, they look at the spider, they go, oh, crud, I might have overfed it a little bit. It's going to take a while for this one to molt. For folks who are not used to keeping spiders, they freak out because their pet spider they absolutely love to suddenly stop eating after only a couple weeks. Well, it's because it fattened up so quickly. So keep in mind, once again, if you feed them bigger meals, they can fill up more quickly. If you feed them a lot of smaller meals, again, they can fill up more quickly, and that will lead to an extended pre-molt period. So it's been several years, your little sling went from juvenile stage, you've got it in this little juvenile enclosure, and it's now pushing three, three and a half inches or so, it's looking like an adult. Now it's time to look at adult enclosures. Guys, there's so many <laughs> enclosures out there now. I just did a video and I talked a bit about how the enclosure market for tarantulas, specifically for tarantulas, has exploded. There are so many folks making the beautiful acrylic enclosures now. We have the exoterra enclosures. We have my new favorite, the barbarous growth or the reptile growth enclosures that I've been using for a lot of things. This is, a, generally speaking, if you're keeping your brachypelma and you have an adult, you want to show this thing off. This is going to be, regardless of the species you have, you have a showcase spider. So there's a million different things you can use for it. If you want to go on the cheap, obviously sterilize 
Carolite containers work fine. There are a lot of big ones out there that run about 14 inches by 12 inches by about 6 inches deep. The adults usually give up any burrowing. Most of them won't even use their hides anymore. I do have a couple that will, and I'll mention it in a moment. But they, for the most part, they're going to be out in the open. So you can give them something with some space. You want to give, again, multiple cork bark hides water dish, some sphagnum moss, leaf litter if you want. Create This is one that you want to create a nice looking environment so people when they come and see it are not only impressed by the spider but impressed by its surroundings. But obviously they're very hardy. They would do well in just, uh, we mentioned this earlier, a box of dirt, sterilite container, a box of dirt and hide. It'll do just fine. Your spider isn't, most of them are pretty calm at that stage. So your spider isn't going to be upset or have hurt feelings because you didn't put it in a premium enclosure. But for those who do want to put them in premium enclosures, these are spiders that I want to display. And it's funny because if you had asked me this maybe five, six, seven years ago, I would have been like, yeah, I can't wait to grow these up. And the best part about them is I can put them in sterilite containers and stack them up and keep multiple spiders. And I don't see it that way anymore. Now I'm one of those ones that's like, this spider is absolutely gorgeous. It needs to be put in a gorgeous enclosure. I just rehoused my Brachypelma Classy, put it in the Queen's old Jamie's acrylic enclosure. And I love the way she looks in there. You can, it shows her off. She looks beautiful. It's a nice setup. So any, there are a plethora of options when it comes to enclosures. As I mentioned, reptile growth or barbarous growth. You have tarantula cribs makes a ton of beautiful enclosures. You have primal cages in the U.S. You have primal field tarantulas in Canada. You have arachnosis enclosures in Europe. Beautiful, all in beautiful enclosures. You could do something up with things you find at Hobby Lobby. They have a lot of great acrylic style enclosures you can buy off Amazon for cheap. There's just so many options. So it's kind of silly for me to go through every single one of them, but those are some of the things I know that are out there, some of the premium enclosures that I've used. So if you have this beautiful spider, you don't mind spending 50, 60, 100, 150 bucks on an enclosure for it because you know it's going to be in it for probably 20, 30 years. And I think that's a pretty good investment. Then check some of those out. But obviously you can also use the Sterilite containers. There's just so much out there that you can use. Now for adults, as far as feeding is concerned, we just had the discussion with Dr. Andy Anderson about overfeeding and how he thinks that overfeeding can pose issues, can actually create molt issues at some point, which I found very interesting. And I've been kind of rattling that around in my brain a bit, trying to grasp it. But I can see that with the Afonapelma, Brachypelma, Gramostola, that's where you usually see the super chubby spiders. That's where I see a lot of folks will send me pictures. And it's like, is this one too fat? It's like, whoa, look at the size of that booty. I do think those are ones that are prone to overfeeding because again, we like watching our spiders eat. We like dumping in lots of crickets. A lot of folks buy these as adults. Again, from a pet store, the pet store says, yeah, you got to feed them you know, five crickets every day. So they're feeding them five crickets every day. Next thing you know it, you have a big fat spider. So for me, this is these are the ones and those three genera I just mentioned, this goes for them as well. These are spiders that easily once a month drop in three or four crickets and you're perfectly fine. If you want to fatten them up after a molt, drop you know a lot of crickets in for a couple times a week, maybe fatten up a little bit, give it a little energy to start off and then ease off. I know that mine now I'm feeding once a month. I've changed this over the years and it's not because it takes too much time to feed them. It's actually easier for me when I go around once a week to feed everybody, to feed everybody at the same time. But it's more, I notice they don't need to be fed that often. So I've been spreading things out for my adults. So once a week, a few, a few crickets or so. I remember back in the day when we were raising, when I had the queen, my G Porteri or G Rosea, I talked about the fact that uh, four crickets or so, a lot of folks would talk about four crickets or so once a month, perfectly fine for them. I think that goes for all adult species, those slower growing species. That's 
perfectly fine, nice big meal, and then you give them a month to kind of ease off a little bit. So I would not overfeed. These are not guys I would feed weekly, honestly. Uh, you can if you're feeding small, maybe you're giving one cricket once a week. That doesn't hurt, I guess. You know, one cricket once a week, that's not overdoing it. These are guys in the wild, if you think about it, are not going to have the opportunity to gorge themselves the way they do when they're in captivity. So another good thing, talk about ease of care. You can feed them if, if you're one that has a handful of spiders and you got to go to the pet store to get them once a month. Even I've heard folks that feed theirs once every other month or so. Give them a, you know, hand, they go out, buy a handful of crickets, toss them in there, eat them. They're good to go. Just keep an eye on the abdomen. If you're feeding them and you notice the abdomen's getting a little small, then you can give them some more food. Now, as far as temperatures are concerned, as we mentioned earlier, these are guys that do perfectly fine with cooler temps. Temperatures from 65 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 18.33 to 29.44 degrees Celsius are perfectly fine. I found that folks that keep them on the cooler side have slower growing spiders, as we've mentioned many, many times. And if you're keeping them on the higher end of that scale, expect faster growth. That's where I've heard folks go from a quarter inch sling to one case, it was like almost three inches in a year, which is amazing to me. So keep that in mind, but I would not, again, try to heat them. As far as moisture is concerned, they are arid species as adults. Water dish, if you want to give them a little moist corner, that's fine. Most of mine will avoid it like the plague. But again, you can always test it out. If it's a winter time, the air's dry, and you want to see if your spider might appreciate a little extra moisture, just moisten down a corner. If you come back at, you know, that night and the spider's hovering over that moist corner, it means they appreciate a little moisture. So just keep that spot moist. Don't moisten down the whole thing. They won't like that. And then just play it by ear. If you notice the spider's not hanging around anymore, let it dry out. Give it the water dish. I have seen many of mine drink. It's funny. The spiders I've seen drink most often are the quote-unquote arid species, which is means that they don't like their environment in particular to be very humid and moist, but they still will drink. So always give them those water dishes. Now, we alluded to this earlier, but with that slow growth rate comes very, very long lifespans. I know, I believe there was a bee smithy that lived over, this was like documented over 40 years. That's a long, long lifespan. It wouldn't surprise me if people had ones that live longer. I think lifespans for the males, even if you get a male, most of the time people don't want male tarantulas because they don't live as long. And obviously that's the case with these guys, but males can easily live eight to 10 years and females 20, 30, up to 40 years, depending on the species. So you're talking about a long-term commitment. You're talking about a spider that is going to be with you and possibly your grandkids for a very long time, which is awesome. I know a lot of folks they will approach me about a certain species of tarantula and then they'll go, how long does this one live? And I'll go, oh, 10 years. And they go, oh, only 10 years? 10 years is a pretty good amount of time for a pet. I mean, I've had a lot of my species now. I've had for 10, 12, 13 years. I'm starting to have some of them, unfortunately, pass from old age. But I've had a lot of time with them. And again, with spiders, or tarantulas in particular, if you're keeping them on the cooler side, if you're not feeding them an aggressive feeding schedule, you can easily stretch that out. And it's probably closer to what it would be in nature. I would venture a guess that tarantulas in the wild tend to live much longer than their captive bred counterparts. And I don't think that's because our care isn't correct. I think it's because you have an animal, you're feeding it a heck of a lot more than it would get in the wild. Therefore, if it's especially if it's got the heat it needs, its metabolism's kicked up, it's going to molt more frequently, and it's going to shorten that lifespan a bit. Now, for an adult female of a brachypelma species, is this going to be a huge 
dig into its lifespan? I don't think so. But with other species that don't live quite so long, yeah, it could take a little bit. Of, it could take a couple of years off of it. So just something to keep in mind. But yep, if you pick up a Brachypelma species, you are going to have this Brachypelma species for a very, very long time, which is actually a very cool thing. So now that we've gone over the basic care, and it really is basic, they are some of the easiest spiders in the world to take care of. Again, the only knock I can put on them is the fact the only major knock is the fact it can take a long time. And with people that are just getting into the hobby, they're already intimidated by slings. And then finding out that that spider may be that tiny for a very long time can kind of freak people out. But again, they're worth it and they are hardy, so it's worth giving it a try. So let's talk about some of the ones that I've raised up. First one we're going to talk about is my Brachypelma Amelia or the Mexican Red Leg. I got mine in March of 2020, and at that point she was about a one-inch sling. So she was well started. She has molted about four times in my care now, and she's right around the three-inch mark. Now, this spider is has been one of the more shy Brockies, and it's also been one that has done a lot more burrowing than my other Brockies. And after I put out the last video on her where I mentioned that she does a lot of burrowing, many other folks came forward and said, yep, see the same thing with mine. Some of them burrowing up to like four, four and a half inches or so. So that's something good to know. Now, I've had folks say that the Amelia are super laid back. I will say mine has been very skittish early on, but she's still small still. She's only three inches or so. So that's still, you know, a, juve, a larger juvenile. Mine hasn't been a big hair kicker at all, but she will run and hide if disturbed. And most recently, I put her in one of the 8 by 8 by 8 Exoterra Nanos, and I put in about three and a half inches of substrate. I kind of angled it from the back, put in a little cork bark hide, a little starter burrow. She dug that whole thing out. She did some extensive burrowing. So now, like right now, I'm looking over at her. And she's right out in the open. If I were to take that enclosure off of the shelf, she would bolt right to her burrow, which is fine by me. So adult behaviors for these guys, most of the folks I talk to report that theirs are very docile and calm. But remember, there can always be exceptions. And it's a beautiful little spider. I think one of the it's a great beginner species. If you can find them, again, this is one of the ones that... You got to kind of keep your eyes open. It seems like well, they'll get a big import. It, this may not be the case overseas. You guys may have more of them over there and they may be more readily available. Usually when I bring up one of these species that's more expensive and hard to get over here, somebody from Europe's like, oh, there are a dime a dozen over here. So please feel free to chime in with that. But they can be a little more difficult to find, but they are definitely worth grabbing when you do. And I have seen lately, they seem to be a little more readily available than they had been previous years. There was a point where I was trying to get one of these and it sold out and it took me like another two years to find one. So now they seem to be a little more prevalent. Praying this one I got to lady because I would love to be able to show off a nice, beautiful lady down the road. The next spider we're going to be talking about is my Brachypelma homorii or Mexican red knee. I got this one as a sex juvenile way back in November of 2012. She was about three inches at the time and adorable little spider, but my Lord, has she been an incredibly slow grower for me. She's molted only about three or four times in my care. I think three times. I thought I might've missed one, but I believe it was only three times. And she is now about four and a half inches or so, maybe five inches. So not a heck of a lot of growth. And she was one that went several years between molts at one point, And I wasn't even feeding. I feed her usually once a month and I drop in like two or three crickets because she hasn't been a 
particularly aggressive eater, and I haven't wanted to overdo it. Now, the Homorii versus the Smithy, for those that are wondering, the Homorii are usually a bit less vibrant, and the orange on the patellas or their knees doesn't extend down to the next leg segment like it does of the Smithy. So when these guys came out, I remember going, well, the whole thing came out uh, several years ago where they realized the species that were being sold as B. Smithy in the hobby, and this one was purchased as a B. Smithy, were actually B. Homorii. The real B. Smithy hadn't been brought in, they'd been sold in the hobby as the B. Anitha, I think. Antha. And a lot of folks were like, what the heck is the difference? When you see them compared, adults compared, there is a difference mostly with the vibrancy, a little bit with the color, the darkness on the carapace, although that can vary. But since her last molts, mine's colors were a bit muted, which is weird because I see, obviously we talked about the Hemorii being a bit less colorful than its cousin the Smithy, but the last molt, I was expecting these colors to really pop and they're kind of faded out, but that's okay because she's still a beautiful spider. Now, as far as temperament, this one has never, ever been particularly laid back. She's been very skittish from day one. She went through a period of about one molt session a cycle where she would kick hairs quite a bit. She doesn't kick hairs now, but she has a hide in there. She's one of the few spiders I have like a resin hide that I bought at like Petco or something. I wanted to rehouse her. I needed something and I picked this up and she will go right to that hide and hide inside it if disturbed. When I go to feed her, anytime I took the top, top off the enclosure, she'll either hunker down between the behind the water dish or go and hide. So she's still very shy, very skittish, uh, very skittish spider. And I talked to other people that said that their Hemorii tended to be a bit more skittish than their Smithy, who tend to be a bit more laid back. We'll have to see. Again, she's not all that big yet. We'll see what happens with the next molt. I'm hoping with the next molt, she might calm down a little bit, but it doesn't matter. She's out enough that I can get pictures of her. Beautiful spider. And obviously my, I believe that was my first Brachypelma species. So I absolutely adore her. The next one on the list is my Brachypelma auratum named Autumn, the Mexican Flame Knee. This one's a personal favorite of mine because I've mentioned many times before when I first saw this spider, the colors for some reason just remind me of Halloween. And she got the name Autumn. Again, spiders have to do something really special usually to get names in my house only because I have so many of them and I'm so used to calling them the scientific names. I don't stop to give them the fun little names. But this one just, she I remember molting once and like it just reminded me of Autumn. So she's got the name Autumn. I got her in October of 2014 as a tiny, about third of an inch sling. And she's always been quite spunky. I mean, as a little sling, she did a little burrowing, but she was out all the time. A little crazy, but so cute. She just molted again, and her molt was about four and a half inches, so she's probably right around five inches. So she is a an adult female now, which is awesome. This is one of the spiders that when I posted video of her up, she seemed very gangly for a Brocky. And a lot of folks came on when I, I think he rehoused her around three inches or so. And a lot of folks came on with, that's a male. And I tried to explain it's not a male. I had sexed her out. It was definitely a female. It is a lady. She's a beautiful lady. And that just goes to show you that just because a spider is a little bit gangly doesn't necessarily mean that it's a male. But she was also a very slow grower, and it took her quite a few years before she sported any of her adult colors. She's also had some really skittish stages where she would bolt and kick hairs. I remember there was, she went through a very bratty period where she would run around, hit a corner of the enclosure, stick her butt in the air, and just kick hair everywhere. But I didn't care because she was 
flipping stunning. Easily one of my favorite looking spiders. I actually just posted a picture of her on Instagram after a recent molt, and those knees are just popping. I think they call. I think the common name I mentioned earlier is Mexican flame knee. I had somebody come on my Brachypelma video recently and asked why it wasn't the red knee because it's more red than the other. I don't know. It's the common names, but. Absolutely adore this spider. Easily one of my favorite all-time spiders in my collection as far as appearance is concerned. I will be curious to see. She is getting fed for the first time after a molt today to see how she responds, if she's calmed down any. Even if she doesn't, I don't care. And this is where I, I want to mention temperament because Erotum is one of the ones that people will ask me about and go, hey, does this make a good beginner spider? Mine, I don't think would have. When she started putting on some size, that's when she started being kicky and bolty, and that might scare some folks or intimidate some folks that haven't been in the hobby, haven't kept spiders for a while. But I'm sure there's going to be folks out there that report that theirs are just little darlings. So please feel free to chime in with you know which species you have, the temperament it has, because I do think that's information that's important for people to hear that, okay, Tom's might be crazy, but a lot of other folks say that theirs are really laid back. So next up, we have my Brachypelma smithy or Mexican red knees. I have two of these that just molted almost like within two weeks of each other, which was cool. And they put on some massive size. One of them was like right around right around the two inch mark or so. And now it looks like it's pushing three inches. I mean, these guys really put on some decent size, but I got mine as one inch slings or three quarter inch slings back in the fall of 2018. So they were fairly well started. They are now about again, three inches or so, and definitely showing more of that saturated adult coloration was really impressed with the I, again, put up a picture on Instagram recently of one that just molted. And the, sadly, the picture doesn't do it justice. The colors really pop, really get some of that flaming orange on the knees and starting to extend down past to the next leg segment. Mine as slings, I had kept them in first. I think they were in the dram vials and I put them in the round uh, acrylic cylinders they're about the size of a, a little bigger than a 16 ounce deli cup, around that size. I kept them in there for a little while. They outgrew those. And now they are in the food storage containers I use with the clip on tops that are about eight inches, nine inches long by about seven inches by about three and a half, four inches deep or so. And I gave them the typical setup with the substrate, the. I did give them little starter burrows and cork bark and wasn't sure if they'd use them because they were trying to use them earlier in their smaller enclosures. I thought maybe with more space they would. They're not using them. They have been very, very skittish, but they seem to be calming down just a bit. So they did go through a skittish stage where they would run around, kick hairs. Anytime I'd open the enclosure, there was hairs getting kicked. But lately I've noticed, I don't know if it's because they have more room. Maybe they feel a little more secure, but they've stopped with the hair kicking a bit, which has been nice because I just want to stare and admire them sometimes. But they usually folks report that their adults are quite laid back. I'm hoping mine, now that they've molted again, will take another step towards being more laid back spiders. But again, either way, who cares? And I don't know if this is has anything to do with the fact right now they're about the same size as the B. homorii I got. They were, that's when I got her about that size, showing the adult colors, about three inches or so. So I'll be curious to see what their growth rate does from this point on because she really took a while to put on size. I'm hoping these guys might grow a little more quickly. I have found that they're growing fairly decent, fairly decent clip so far. I mean, well, 2018 has been five years. Never mind, I take that back. They're, they're growing slowly, but I, I don't know. They seem to put on more size, a decent size with each mold. But obviously, again, Brachybelma smithy, Hemorii, hobby staples. I think everybody should own them at one point, and I'm very excited to grow mine up until adults. 
So next up, we have my Brocky Pelma Boimi or Baimi, the Mexican fire leg. I got mine as a half-inch sling, same time I got my Brocky Pelma Classy in September of 2016. This was one that was a freebie again. She is now right around four and a half, five inches or so. And I have two. I have my Brocky Pelma Baimi that's a pure blood. I have the other one that is a Brocky Pelma, probably Baumgartney Baimi hybrid. I have the pretty good authority that it was probably a mix. And both of them were very and continue to be very skittish. They will bolt. They will kick hairs without too much. Like I took the top off the enclosure the other day and just a little rush of air. My Brachypelma Baby bolted around that enclosure, stopped in the corner, threw up a cloud of hairs. And the older one, the Brachypelma Baumgartney uh, Baby hybrid, her name's Lazarus because she had a near-death experience where we thought she was dead. She was not. Speaking of surviving very cold temperatures, she survived basically freezing. And she has always been crazy. She has never calmed down. Yesterday, I've been putting up pictures of Rocky Pelmas on Instagram. I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to have a picture of the baby up there. She, there was no getting near her. She flew around her enclosure, hid. This is one of the few she will actually hide. She has a cork bark tube and another hide in there. She will hide either under it or inside of it and won't come out. If she comes out, she bolts around crazy, kicks up hairs. So that's something to keep in mind because I have a lot of folks that will ask, hey, I know Brachypelma are good beginner species. Would a Brachypelma baby be a good one to start with? I usually tell them no. It's one of those ones. I know there's probably folks out there that have calmer ones. But from what I've gathered, a lot of folks report ones that are like my two that are very high strung, kick those hairs. And that's not something somebody new to the hobby really wants to deal with. I don't care, though, because they are gorgeous. After a molt, those legs pop. Now, my Brachypelma Baumgartney um, Baimi hybrid, Boimi hybrid, little less vivid, but the last time she molted, those legs were popping. And then my Baimi, pure blood Baimi, Mexican fire leg, beautiful after molting. Right now, it's been quite a, quite a, I'm looking over at her. It's been several months since she last molted. Still very, very bright red colors on the legs. Just gorgeous. Just watch out for that temperament because they can be a little crazy. Mine as a sling actually burrowed quite a bit. It was a pretty big burrow right till she hit about two inches or so. At that point, abandoned her burrow. I kind of wish she'd stuck to it because she might be a little more calm. But gorgeous spiders, just not brachypelmas that I would recommend as beginners. Now we have my Brocky Pelma Classy Mexican Pink Beauty. Just did a video with mine where I rehoused her into the Queen's old enclosure. I was trying to figure out what to put in there. And I was doing feeding. I looked at the closet. I'm like, my gosh, she's beautiful. And she's actually calmed down quite a bit. And I'm like, you're going in that enclosure. So she is in there now if you want to check that video out. Gorgeous spider. Again, one of those ones that you just pick it up and you're not sure what to think of it. You've seen pictures online and then it starts to pick up its adult coloration and you're just amazed with its beauty. And this is one I got back as a freebie back in September of 2016. She was, I think, around a third of an inch to a half an inch or so, 1.25 centimeters. And she's grown Fairly slowly overall, but now she is pushing about four and a half inches, four inches, we'll say four inches, about 10.16 centimeters or so, maybe a little bit 
larger, but just a stunning spider. The common name Mexican Bink Beauty does cover them because there is a pinkish overall hue to those legs, unlike some of the other Brockies that kind of usually have that reddish-orange look, and I think that's what really makes this one stand out. Now, mine as a juvenile was quite skittish. It's a sling, quite skittish, but she has calmed down quite a bit. I just checked her out the other day. I take her out. She's starting to assume the pet rock role, which I love. I pick her up. I take her cage down the feeder. She just kind of sits there. She doesn't bolt around. Great eater. She's been a great eater from day one. Continues to be a great eater. She goes at those crickets and roaches with a vengeance. Visible, just an amazing spider. Has rapidly risen to probably... I know I'm going to regret saying this, but probably at least top five of my favorite spiders. Just absolutely adore her. And again, as evidenced by the fact that she picked up the queen's enclosure. That's a pretty big, pretty big honor in my household. So Brachypelma classy, if you can find them, I think they're highly underrated. I think part of it is because of the fact they're a little more tricky to find than some of the other species I've just mentioned. The other ones were quite common for quite some time. The classies, you didn't see all that much. But if you get a chance to get one, I would really encourage you to grab one up. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Definitely often overlooked, and it's a shame, and definitely one I would put on a beginner species list because, again, as adults, and I've spoken to other people that have them, the adults tend to be more laid back, which is great. And finally, last but not least, we have Brachypelma albiceps, or the golden red rump. I got three slings back. I believe it was late 2020 or so, little teeny tiny slings, probably about third of an inch or so, maybe smaller. And in that amount of time, they've gone from about a third of an inch to a third of an inch. I swear these guys don't seem like they're growing. I spoke to some folks who said theirs grew a little more quickly. I got faked out because when I got them, they molted, they ate, they both, all three of them ate. And then they molted rather quickly. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And then they molted again, several months, several months later, Again, didn't seem to put on any size, and now I realize it's going to be a while before I have a big, beautiful female to feature. My Brachypelma Blowout 3 will have to wait several years so I can show one of these off, but I have seen them in person at shows, and they are absolutely stunning spiders. I know a lot of folks, every time I do a Brachypelma Blowout, get upset because that's their favorite Brachypelma, and I don't have one to feature. So hopefully, they will start putting on some size soon. We'll start seeing those colors, but I got a funny feeling I'll be 50 or so before (laughs) we're able to report that, but awesome spiders. Molted three times in my care. They've gone from probably realistically about a third of an inch to probably a half an inch now. And both of them are pre-molts. I'm hoping the next molt will bring some more size. Obviously, I'll have to update these guys in the future because they're just not presentable yet because they just look like typical little brown slings. But I can't wait for the day where one of those molts and I start to see some of those gorgeous colorations because they really are stunning spiders. All right, so that concludes our Brachypelma review. Hopefully, you guys, if anything, again, I hope folks that are Brachypelma aficionados appreciate just going through and hearing about them. I implore you to share whatever information you have on them so people can hear how other people keep them, temperaments, whatnot. And for folks that were on the fence or haven't, you know, for folks that never gave them a look, it's time to give them a look. For folks that gave them a look but are like, ah, they're beginner species, I don't feel like waiting that long, whatever, now's the time. If you can find them, buy them, because again, they do take a while to grow up. So you want to make sure you grab them now so that you're not years from now going, man, I wish I bought them back then. But awesome spiders. Definitely one of the ones I'm trying to go ahead and grab all the different ones in the genus. Hopefully one day I'll have all the ones that are available in the pet trade. It's going to take a while. And I'm going to probably be quite old by the time I'm able to show off females of all of them. But something I will continue to work on. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on Tom's Big Spiders, the podcast. You can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. Last video I featured a, what did I feature? Oh, the Zenestis species blue. We just rehoused her into a big, 
tarantula cribs 12 by 12 by 12 inch cube she looks stunning the enclosure setup looks great so if you want to check that out feel free to check it out obviously i will put probably in the description for this one i'll put a link to the brocky pelma video so you can see some of those spiders for anybody that's interested as always guys it's been fun stay safe we'll catch you all next time